Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lee's here with another fun episode of the Surfing Sales Podcast. We are super excited uh, to be speaking with Alex Smith today from Headspace, one of our, not only one of our favorite apps, certainly one of my favorite clients that I've worked with, um, which is also interesting to talk about selling something like Headspace into a, you know, into a B2B model, right? Um, and particularly now with everything going on, there's, I know there's some, some positive, some positivity for that. But before we sort of jump into everything, Alex, first of all, welcome to the show. But two, go ahead and tell people what Headspace is doing, because we do want people to make sure they know that this is available to them. Yes, thank you so much for the introduction, Richard. I'm really uh, happy to be here and to have a good sales chat with you all. And before we get started, Richard mentioned that there is a ton of amazing things that are going on with Headspace, and we have had the opportunity to be able to have uh, a response to a lot of people out there that might be in need of a product like Headspace. And so Headspace is currently being offered for free for anybody who has been uh, affected by the unemployment status due to COVID-19. Um, so you can simply go to our website and follow the guidelines there and get yourself set up with um, a free subscription for a year to our Headspace uh, premium app that has over a thousand hours worth of content and just a ton of support and peace of mind in there. So check it out. And we're also extending uh, free subscriptions to Headspace to our healthcare workers that's in the UK, um, part of the NHS and also in the US and uh, also being offered to our wonderful and fearless teachers out there, uh, K through 12th grade. So all of that can be found right so if you've been So if you've been laid off, you're a healthcare worker in the US and UK. If you're a teacher, go sign up and register for Headspace. Uh, I'm a huge practitioner. Uh, I'm at 5,000 minutes. Um, I remember last year I hit about- That's amazing. 20, yeah, about 3,000 minutes. This is 10 minute increments, everybody. This is 10 minute increments. And the cool thing is, is that I created about 45 hours in my first year of downtime in 10 minute increments which is really like over a week of vacation. So I was able to create space for a week to try and think about nothing. And you can do it in three minute, five minute increments. And it's not about how many days you do or how good the meditation is. Some days you're gonna have good, some days you have, you have bad. It's just the idea of creating that presence of moment. And that's the piece I really loved about it when I discovered it. Um, so anyway, so Alex and, and to Headspace, and of course to Andy who narrates so much, uh, we, we appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, so, so Alex, talk to us a little bit about your, your, what is your current role as head of sales at Headspace? And then I want to understand what did Alex grow up thinking she was going to be? Did you know you were going to be a salesperson, all that kind of stuff? Ooh, fun questions. So right now I am overseeing uh, sales development for entire Headspace for work business. And right now this is a global business for us. So we've got um, a team in the UK and uh, a couple teams in North America. And so it has taken some shapes and turns as, you know, startup life does. There's many, many hats to be worn. But the way that I like to think about it is uh, right now we have a team. It's myself, uh, marketing operations, sales operations, and we've organized ourselves as a top of funnel team. So part of my job not only is hiring, training, interviewing uh, people who are interested in having a career in sales and starting in sales development. Uh, but the other part, of course, is building out a global pipeline for our 
new Headspace for Work business that is an extension from our core business that a lot of people know on. So that's in a nutshell what I do for, for Headspace, which is really exciting. And we uh, are focused on optimizing our funnel from an inbound and outbound perspective. So that's been a real fun and different challenge that I know a lot of us salespeople in our career dream of having. But it's interesting the amount of different challenges that it brings along the way, but it's been awesome to learn how to like really optimize an inbound funnel, which has been great. Um, and we've really leveraged our B2C brands for the last 10 years in order to make that happen and, and, and be successful. So, but coming back to your second question, did I always dream or what is it that I dreamed of? So, you know, all these little things along the way have added up to me for sure having a career in sales. And now for me, when I look back on it, it's like a no brainer that this is what I do. But when I was growing up, uh, I was very extroverted. I was in theater and I used to sing and I used to get the whole neighborhood to come to my concerts to hear me sing. And I get everybody set up so they can hear what I had to say. And, um, you know, my dad is so funny. He, he tells the story of me being really stubborn as a, a, a young girl. And, you know, when he had to tell me, you know, to be in timeout, it would just hurt him. And I would just walk up to him and say, you know what, that doesn't hurt. You know, I'm going to get through this, so on and so forth. So very strong willed. And, you know, my father and my brother, they instilled a lot of confidence in me and my stepmom came a lot later uh, in my life and she's also an angel. And so um, with that being said, I had a really good backbone in the house, kept it very candid. Uh, and then, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, for me, I'm a first generation college student. So it was a big deal when I had decided that I was going to go to college and, you know, my family said, okay, well, you better find a way to get it paid for because, you know, my family is very blue collar. We grew up you know, uh, in South Florida, my father owns his own construction business. And so it was, it was, it was really uh, quite the treasure map to figure out how I was going to get my college paid for. And so I went to a community college at first and I was starting to look into opportunities on how I can get my school paid for. And I actually joined a speech and debate team in college. Uh, little did I know that that was like basically sales training 101. And, uh, I was on a um, speech and debate team for four years and I competed internationally uh, for public speaking and I got recruited from the University of Alabama and basically was on a sports team. And fast forward, how is that relative to now? Well, you know, when it comes to having a career in sales, I feel like for a long time and even more so even earlier than people get the opportunity in the workplace, I've had training on debate and negotiation and the psychology of getting your point of view across and uh, healthy discussion on topics. So that's the short answer. I want to, I want to fixate on stubbornness <laughs> as a sales skill slash attribute and whether or not stubborn people, stubborn kids end up becoming really good salespeople. I am definitely stubborn. I 100% believe Richard is stubborn, whether he will admit it or not. <laughs> He's admitting it. And so you just said, you know, you had this stubbornness. And I've actually never, I don't know that I've ever sat and thought, like, is stubbornness an attribute that I should look for and, and hire for in my recruiting process? And do stubborn people make good salespeople? So what do you, what do you think, Alex? So I think there are certain words that carry this negative connotation, whether we like it or not, 
you know, I'm smiling as I say that I was stubborn, you know, but that is my way of approaching what that word means to me because I've learned that that quality has actually done a lot of very good things. Yeah, I, I, don't, of, I don't equate it with, with negativity. I think some people, some people might. I don't. Yeah, but I think that some people do. So I don't know if like I would go as far as saying that I would personally look for someone who's super stubborn in an interview, but I would say that that particular skill is very transferable in the art of persuasion or the art of resilience or people who feel really strongly about their opinion and people who feel very strongly about their opinion are inevitably great persuasive negotiators a lot of the time. So I would definitely kind of draw some lines there uh, if I was interviewing someone and looking for that particular quality. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. I, there's, a, there's a question I used to always ask, um, which was, you know, what do you do when your boss tells you to do something, but you know it's the wrong thing and you know there's a better right way, right? Like that's, that it to me is how stubborn are you, right? And how do you get it across and how do you articulate it? And as I interpret it and, and interpret it the way the two of you are, are mentioning it, Alex, that feels a lot like debate, right? How do I, they're taking this position, okay, now I have to, articulate in a in a human way to get my point across to hopefully get them to to believe what I now believe right um but I I think it's yeah. I, I think I used to I don't think I, I I never asked people if they were stubborn I asked I asked people a lot if they were perfectionists though I don't know if you I don't know if you need to come out directly in the interview and be like so Alex tell Where's me are you, are you stubborn right but you can you can ask questions that gauge somebody's degree of stubbornness. Look, you have to be stubborn in order to continue to follow up with an account that has told you no, God knows how many times, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's, that's stubbornness, is it not? I, not, not I, I think it's great to ask the question though, of, you know, have other people in your life ever told you you were stubborn, right? Because everybody will know that, yeah. right? That, that's the answer, that's the question I would ask. If, if, that's if, actually, that, that's, a great, that's a great way of putting it, I think. Yeah. How do you, just out of curiosity, so, you know, you, you, you know, you're, you're really, truthfully, it's ironic, you're the second person we've spoken to who's been on the debate side. Oh, yeah. in, and, in theater, the and theater as well. Yeah, yeah, in the arts. And, and, but then you even tied it in, you know, you went to <laughs> Alabama. Um, sorry, I'm a Bulldog okay. fan. But, um, you know, how, you, you said yourself just a minute ago, it's a lot like sports. So were you also an athletic kid that played sports and were competitive or how did, how did you make those two connections for, for you? Yeah. So I was always a really active kid. And like I said, I had an older brother and it was me and my dad and he played sports and they were competitive. And so I was always hanging around with the guys and um, I got really into the competitive spirit of being outdoors and playing games and in the neighborhood and running around with other kids. And so it's really been a quality that has, has carried over with me in every part or phase of my life, whether it be personal or professional as I've continued to grow. And so when I say it's like being on a sports team, what I'm saying is, is there's also a layer of mental uh, ability that comes along with any sport that you're in and it's not always in the physical sense. And obviously what we do a lot in sales, it's very mental. 
And so I carry over a lot of those same mental qualities or mental exercises that I should do to put myself in the best position to succeed or AKA win or AKA make money or AKA reach a goal. And so all of those are transferable. What are, what are you the things, and then I'll let Scott ask some questions because I know he's got a bunch, but what are the things that you talk about when you say sort of this mental toughness, as you describe, that you look for in yourself? And then equally important, how do you coach that to somebody in a sales role? Can you coach mental toughness? Can you help them become more courageous, more confident? I, I would love to just sort of, sort of get into some, some weeds and tactics that, that you practice and see. So the times where I have really built my mental toughness, if you will, is twofold, right? Some of us come from a background where we have had to struggle to get to where we are. We've had to figure out ways to get things paid, to have an education. You know, my partner is a combat veteran. He needed to go to war to get a college education. Like a lot of us, first and foremost, there's like two different avenues, right? And you know, that, that type of uh, experience or perseverance, if you will, just kind of, you know, attaches on to you along the way as you try to figure out how you're going to get to go where you need to go. And then there's a second part of it where you choose as a person, you actively choose like, hey, I'm going to go get some perspective. And that is a really hard thing for people to want to sign up to do because it doesn't always feel good but it's a necessary part of the growth process. And it's also a necessary part of understanding who you are, what you believe and how you want to operate and navigate yourself through this life. And so, you know, I had the first part, I had a very challenging upbringing and I've really had to navigate my way kind of around this world. I've worked for everything that I've ever had, not to say that not everybody does, but, you know, that to me brought a certain quality where when I stand up and I talk to people about what we're trying to accomplish, I'm able to bring in my life experience to say like, or pull that out of people in some ways where we ask these questions, like what was like, go back to a time where you thought it was going to be something that brought you down to your knees in order to accomplish. And then what happened? Did you accomplish it? Or the worst thing is, is you didn't, right? And you switched directions and you realized that that's the other way that you wanted to go. There's always a positive in it. And so I try to get people to think about times where they remember themselves in one place and how they got to the other and reminding people that they actually have a lot more control over that process with their mindset when they do these type of exercise. And then the second part that we talked about was putting yourself in a position where you are actively seeking some perspective so that way you can grow yourself mentally. And, you know, personally for me, you know, I, um, you know, after working in sales, my first sales, uh, part of my sales career was in New York and I was with the company, uh, for three years and where I learned how to sell. And then I became a training manager and I had a ton of experience with enablement there. And I got to a point, I mean, I guess you can call it an eat, love, pray moment, but I didn't feel good. You know, I was doing the sales grind. I was making money. I'd never made money before in my life. I'd never seen that much money before. I didn't even know what to do with it. And I didn't need to like go to another brunch or like buy another pair of shoes. I really wanted to experience. And so I ended up quitting my job and I bought a one-way ticket and sold all my things and did a solo trip in South America for a year. And then I came back after that trip, after the year, ton of volunteer work. And now, you know, I stepped out of the corporate world, but I apply it back to business. And it's really interesting how much stronger I am as a person because I've chosen 
to have some perspective in other areas of my life. And so you have to decide that that's something that you want to receive and then understand that it's a, it's a process and it's not always pretty, but you end up becoming more whole and, and, and better and more clear in the directions that you go as a result. So that and meditation. So that's another conversation. <laughs> Speaking of meditation, do you, do you have to eat your own dog food? Are you, are you, do you like have, do you have to meditate in order to be in the, the headspace, like inner circle? Are you, are you good at meditation? Yeah. So that's the thing is that people think that you're either good or you're bad, or you're like, what level of a uh, meditator are you? And really it's not about that. Like well, good to me means you do it consistently. That's it. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. I was like, I don't know how. So good as far as doing it consistently. Absolutely. But I didn't discover meditation. Like I have always been a type A personality. I've battled with anxiety. Um, you know, I, like I said, I've worked in sales for most of my career and I also have developed Crohn's disease, which Crohn's disease is a disease that is triggered from stress. And a lot of people find stress working in sales. I'm not saying that that was the direct parallel, but I've had no choice, but to figure out how to make myself feel better while also having goals and a passion and a standard for myself that I want to achieve. And so I tried a bunch of different stuff. Meditation was one of them. Yeah. And it was a big difference. People talk all the time about how it's easier to sell a product you really believe in. So what, what is it like to sell a product that you actually use all day, every day? And, and I mean, really believe in like, this is not just believe in like, it makes your business better, but like makes your life better, makes you feel better, makes you healthier. That must be yeah. an incredible advantage for you and, and the whole team. Yeah. And here's the thing. I've sold a lot of stuff. I've sold a lot of crap. I've sold a lot of good stuff, bad, whatever. Like I, I mean, before this, I was working at Flexport. I was slinging, I was selling freight. It doesn't usually get much drier than logistics, but um, to sell a product that I believe in has completely transformed uh, the way in which I work and the way in which my capacity has expanded oh, is that, definitely that due. Tell, tell us more about how it's transformed the actual nuts and bolts of how you work. That's really interesting to me. So every single, and we forget about this sometimes. It doesn't matter if you're in sales development or you're an AE or you're this or that. Every single job can be monotonous. Every single one. Every single job. I go so far as to say every job is monotonous. Yeah. It just depends how long you've been doing it. Right. And everybody's got different time frames in which they like to do this one thing. And then when it feels like it's, you know, here, then it's time to move on. And I've really tapped into what's incredible about obviously selling something that you love or working in an industry that you really care about is, it's your point, your capacity to manage things like the bullshit isn't so bad anymore. Like at the end of the day, you're laying your head to rest and you have a much greater purpose that you're working for because you believed in it before you even, you know, started, you know, the work that you're doing. And it, it is the anchor when things don't go so well, when you feel off or when things aren't going well internally within the organization, or maybe you're not getting the things that you want, the promotion, the, the internal mobility, or, you know, whatever it may be, it's, it's the thing that you always come back to that goes, well. Wow, I'm actually very grateful to be here because this is something that I truly believe in. And if, you know, that's, you know, Richard, you had something to say to that. Well, yeah, no, totally. So I, you know, part of this too, for me is um, not just what you believe in, but 
there's an altruistic part of this, right? A long time ago, I sold educational software, right? So if anybody's listening or, or maybe Scott, you're young enough. And, and Alex, I know you're young enough um, for things like kid picks or where in the world is Carmen San Diego or Mavis Beacon teaches typing or uh, reader rabbit, all those edge first set of educational Oregon trail, all those first set of gamesmanship of education and computers. I, I ran a team that sold all that. So there was something very altruistic about, wow, this is change. This can change the world. Like we are educating people to the same extent. I think headspace is that way that yes, you believe in it, but you can literally change lives, right? You literally can, um, not everybody's going to adopt, but you know, you're doing everything you can to help that process. And I think that's a really amazing piece of what a company like Headspace does. It's definitely the common denominator with all the people that are working at Headspace. I mean, since COVID-19 happened, it has been bananas. Like really, we, our company has gone to like a need to have product almost overnight, which is a blessing to have. But, and, but have I had those moments where, you know, for my partner, it's not the same. Like he works in film, he's been laid off. And there are times where we're always going to look at the grass being greener on the other side. Yeah. Right. But again, the anchor is what keeps everything grounded, which is without going super. Yeah. And without going super pitchy, because I do, I do want people to know what Headspace does. Like what kinds of things are companies now asking you about aside from stress and anxiety, or is that really it? Like what are they gravitating towards as they look at something like this? Yeah, so the Headspace for Work program is is different, obviously, from the B2C product that people know and love. So what do I mean by that? So you could go to the App Store right now, and you can download Headspace, and you could subscribe, um, and you can unlock the library of, you know, a thousand, you know, hours of content, and that's ranging from healthy wake-ups to movement to meditation. So a variety of different stuff. Um, but the Headspace for Work team, we're really focused on partnering with HR teams right now uh, during obviously one of the, the toughest times I would imagine for that group of people. And so we're really focused on, to your point, yes, stress, yes, burnout, yes, resilience. And also we're really uh, forward thinking about how we can help and partner with these teams, transition their workforce either back into work, back operating, to and from remote and really be a part of their change management and help them understand also what's going on with their employee population and, and make strategic decisions that are going to help support their employees. So that is in a nutshell, like what the Headspace for Work department is focused on. What, can you give us like your, your top two or three tips for selling into HR? So anybody out there who's maybe selling into the HR department, VP of HR, whatever you want to call it, um, what are, what are your couple tips? So I think that, you know, HR leaders right now, one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we've noticed that's been going really well is, uh, creating more content and resources for them to be better at their job right now. So that is really very much getting support from some sort of marketing resource within your organization. You know, since we started having webinars where literally we just have our VP of people come and talk about some of the things that we are doing internally to help our employees at Headspace. We've had so many other HR leaders join to listen, to hear what other people are doing uh, to, to support employees. So I would say creating as much value as possible, you know, through webinars or through content uh, in, in some form to support them in the job that they're doing. What, type, then, what, type, what type of webinar content does a, a VP of HR need that, that adds value to them? 
What does that look like? I have absolutely no idea. So I, I, this is like not my, I've never sold into HR before. So this is like educational for me. Well, we can hook you up with a registration link after this, and you can definitely come to the next one because um, they're, they're different every time. So one in particular that we just did uh, was supporting your employees as far as parents um, that are working from home with kids. So being very specific about, you know, how you can help them help their employees and sharing tips that we're doing and testing internally and what's been going well and what we learned. And so it can be as specific as that, or it can be as loose as a panel and just listening to how certain companies are navigating changes right now. Um, if you work in a similar industry. What just out of curiosity for those parents who are listening, any suggestions for them, right? Because I know lots of parents are listening. Granted, we're getting to the end of the school year, but now it becomes the, oh, shit, what am I going to do with my kids all summer, right? Uh, depending on the state you live in. Um, what, are, what are some tips that you can give to those parents? Because I, I just want to be supportive to folks. I, I think that it's a really intimidating time for people in general to have candid conversations with their direct reports. So many people are just so damn grateful that they have a job right now that tolerance levels for a lot of things have gone up and people are willing to, you know, accommodate or maybe, um, you know, do what they need to do to make sure that they're doing their job because there's just so much uncertainty about layoffs and different things. And if they are going to choose, is it going to be me? Right. There's so much of that going on. So, because of that, we've noticed even internally with our uh, organization that people are having conversations about what they actually mean um, and voicing like the, these are my working hours that I'm able to make, like really partnering with your HR teams and building out a schedule that allows you to be a parent and a teacher for a lot of our parents out there as well. And also be successful in your job and just over communicate the expectations of the current setup. And we're just what is that? What does that schedule look like, Alex? Because I can, I'm sitting here as a parent thinking, get the fuck out of here. There is no such schedule that perfectly allows me to be a parent, be a teacher, and work the right amount of hours. So I want, I want to know, I want to know, like, what, what is one playbook for that? What does that look like? What does one model look like? And granted, people are in different professions, so maybe it's easier for some, some than others. I don't know about you, Richard, but I'm sitting here going. Huh. bring it give me that schedule because i need to implement it tomorrow yeah that's the thing that's the that's the call to action right is to make sure that you're communicating expectations with your direct manager and having those conversations about like what your home situation looks like is going to look wildly different than mine and wildly different than richard's and so you know just because there's a lot of uncertainty with jobs it doesn't mean that we can't communicate like what we need in order to be effective in our job and there's a lot of just saying yes to things and doing them because of the uncertainty. And so, you know, we just really encourage people to communicate the things that they need in order to be successful to their direct managers. And not a lot of organizations are as compassionate. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like feeling safe enough and empowered enough to speak up. And, and communicate about what that schedule might look like for you, depending on your situation, right? What about from the manager side though, Alex? Like, isn't there responsibility? VP side. <laughs> yeah. What about from the VP side, the manager right. side, yeah. Yeah, how, how do you have that conversation? I mean, I, I mean you're, you're probably coached on it from just your skill set in general, but particularly from this headspace point of view, you know, I think a lot of managers 
you know, don't know how to have this conversation. They're afraid to have this conversation. They've been told not to have these conversations prior to COVID because it's a legal issue, right? Like we don't want to, can't create one thing for one person, not the other for the other, right? So how do y'all coach companies on that? Or, or, you know, or is it as simple as, look, you just got to have one-on-one conversations to say, hey, everybody, what's going to work for you? And you just create a spreadsheet as a manager and manage to it. Yeah, I think more so than ever, it's even looser than that, Richard. You know, more so than ever, we are being called to be as empathetic and as compassionate as possible. Uh, you know, whether that was a skill set that we had before or not, it we are inevitably, as people leaders, should be absolutely operating with that quality. And one of the things that, and again, I'm going to loop this back to Headspace, but one of the whole things about meditation is to uh, build awareness and compassion. Uh, in in your thoughts, in in the way that you operate with other people. And that is supposed to help you understand like what compassion means and what empathy means and how as a people leader, you're able to do that for your, and support the people on your team. So I think like that's, that's number one. And it really goes back to just aligning on the values of your team. Just because a company has values, it doesn't mean as a manager or a people leader or a department head, like you can't form your own morals and values within your department of how you want people to operate. And a great place to start is with the company values. So for example, one of our company values is to have selfless drive and a courageous heart and a curious mind. And we talk about like, what are the behaviors now post COVID? I held a whole session about this with my team post COVID. What are the behaviors that are associated with each of those values now what does that mean for you and you discover so much about what people are going through and about how people are approaching the situation right now just by doing an exercise like that versus not having to ask people cut and dry you find out what's going on and you adjust yourself and you support them as much as possible that is the responsibility Um, yeah we we talked to nick beta last week um head of gainsight you know he's got some internal values of childlike joy and the golden rule. And um, we talked about that is like, you know, you got to believe that from within, right? Otherwise it just looks like bullshit on paper and everybody, you know, thinks they're managing to it when in fact they're not. Um, And sort of given the background of Andy and the organization, I know that this is baked in, right? And there's just the fact that, just the fact that you said, hey, I sat down and looked at our values and we talked about it with our team. Like just a conversation, not that they're even, you know, maybe there was something that came out of it, but just that conversation and the willingness of that conversation probably did wonders for your team in terms of just feeling supported and recognizing they're not just some number, not some machine that's right. supposed to grind out appointments or revenue and those kinds of things. So I, I think that's, you know, you're, you're living it, which is really, really cool. Thanks, Richard. I, I, and I think it is too. And it also is the only way how I know how to be you know, at this point in, in my life and all the different kind of twists and turns and things that have happened and just the opportunity that's in front of me, I don't want to miss it. And, you know, one thing about working at Headspace that is uh, another added benefit is that it keeps me very accountable. I cannot practice what I preach. Like I, I cannot not do that. You know, like that is something that just doesn't align with me, uh, you know, as a, as a person. And I think so many organizations probably, you know, Headspace, again, it's like a, a little unique, but I, before Headspace, I've worked in traditional SaaS businesses my entire career. So I've just noticed that empathy and compassion is a really hard 
thing to learn when all you've done in your management career has been tactical. And, you know, you can pull out your stops on your motivational videos and all this other stuff. But if you don't take the time to have conversations with yourself, whether that be through meditation, whether that be through working out, whether that be through anything that helps you become a little bit present and like ask yourself, like, what do I believe? Where do I want to go? If you haven't answered those questions for yourself, it will be very difficult to lead others through this time. And so as leaders, we can't be afraid to have those conversations and it goes deep. And like I said, it's not always pretty, but it's necessary. That's really, really well said. I, I love that comment you made that I wrote. I just wrote down about um, empathy. Empathy is hard to learn if all you've ever been is tactical. It's really, really well, well said. I'm, I've got like names going off in my head of who should hear that. Oh, I went through that a long time ago and things like that. The laundry list. Yeah, <laughs> People yeah. I can send that to. <laughs> that, Scott's going to get that tattooed on him somewhere, I think. I think that's going to be Scott's first tattoo. Yeah, my first tattoo. That'll, that'll, that'll be it. Yeah. Well, it might be my 20th. I'm covered in tattoos. <laughs> How did you get hooked into uh, Uncrushed? Let's talk a little bit about your affiliation there. We've had Tim on here before and we've talked about it a little bit, but I want to know, like, how does an outsider, how did you get involved with them? Or maybe you're not an outsider and I just don't know, but how did you get involved with that? And what, are, what is the work that you do with them look like? Yeah, so I actually got introduced to Uncrushed. Uh, I was uh, speaking at Dreamforce this last year and I was on a panel with a couple other sales leaders and I was just sharing a little bit about myself. And at the time, uh, John Barrows had said, Hey, do you know Tim Clark at Uncrushed? I feel like you, you know, you guys have some similar interests. I don't know if it's the passion or, you know, the different things that we were talking about at mental health or just the, the fact that Headspace might give it away that we might be a good match. But um, he connected me with Tim. I had a conversation with Tim. And I mean, it didn't take more than talking to this guy for two minutes to recognize that he's doing something incredibly special with the organization called Uncrushed, which is what I volunteer for now. And um, my, it was a pretty easy decision. I was so excited about what he was doing. And really the other reason why I was so excited about what Uncrush was doing is because I felt like they were doing really raw stuff that like Headspace doesn't really kind of touch. Like they're getting deep in it. They're, they're getting really, uh, you know, deep into wanting to support people who have addiction and, um, you know, things like exploring what grieving exercises look like or just understanding your mental health um, people who have had eating disorders which are all things that so many of us battle with um, but I just loved that they were not afraid to go really deep in these topics and, and support people who are uh, really deeply struggling with their mental illness and so I thought wow this is going to be such a great avenue I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and kind of get down with this and what I help with them uh, what I do for them is that I help with their events and so there are workplace events that Uncrushed uh, is doing, which is incredible, where we come in and we, again, partner with uh, HR leaders and we facilitate events where we uh, educate people on mental health and their own mental health. And we open it up for discussion and people share stories. And it's an ongoing healing process and educational do you, journey. Do you feel, I have no data on this, so I'm asking a question. Do you feel that the sales profession has the same amount or more kind of mental health issues same amount as other as other professions 
Well, I have definitely stuck my hands in a bunch of different types of professions. I even stepped away from the corporate world and taught yoga full-time for two years before I went back into sales management. So I would say that they all have their challenges for sure. And any single job or relationship, um, you are essentially at risk in some ways of uh, mental health, depending on the environment and depending on the uh, people around you, which greatly affects us internally. I feel like there's a little bit of a stigma with sales, like salespeople are the most, you know, mentally unstable group. There's, like so there's a, there's a couple of things that I'll say that the, the data I've seen um, does show that it's a higher rate within sales. Is that, um, is that because of the nature of the work that we do is so insane yeah. and stressful or is it because people with issues put themselves in these particular situations? I, I think there's a lot of, I don't know that there's one thing that ever has been pointed to it, but you know, sales is one of those professions where you don't have to have a college degree to be great at it, to make good money. Um, to Alex's point earlier, you know, she came up from, from more of a, a struggled approach of like, how am I going to get this paid for? Like this, this hustler's mindset for lack of a better phrase of uh, college. How do, how do I even get my college paid for whether it's hard work and scholarships or whatever. So there's, there's a piece of that. Um, it's also the job where you performance is so measured that your job relies on it. And every other department has much longer tenures than sales jobs do so we know that that's a piece of it um one of the other things that's interesting and we're seeing it everywhere uh is that one men don't talk about it right we're not allowed to talk about our emotions and our feelings um i think first round capital i just read their blog post today um uh, they, they they did a survey on it and it backs up every one of these things that i'm saying um that, that these are the things that they're seeing in the sales world and 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 to a large extent the startup economy Right. I mean, Absolutely. even Scott, I remember Scott, you and I were trading emails yesterday with someone to reschedule. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm taking Monday off, right? It's Memorial day weekend. I'm going to be with my family. And someone emailed back and just said, yeah, I haven't gotten to the point where I can do that yet. You know, and they're in that sort of grind phase and it's, I've been there. Scott's been there. Um, we there. go through the I'm always, I'm always there. You just, yeah. you just blocked out every holiday left in the whole damn calendar without asking. I did. I did. <laughs> I, told, I told Scott, I, I officially gave Scott all the holidays off so that he can have four day weekends. Because <laughs> 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 I'm tired so Richard, of having that battle. I was, was going to say, you know, to what you're talking about, you're like, what is it? Is it, you know, coming back to what Scott said, is it, you know, the mentally unstable people get into sales or is it something that happens? And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I can go really hard on this topic, but the environment and your tactical managers are a heavy, heavy influence on the, uh, I guess, stigmas that are definitely prevalent uh, in sales organizations. I mean, for I have never had a female boss. I've only worked for male sales leaders. Like I have always worked in a heteronormative male-driven uh, environment. And for a lot of women that walk into sales, That'll miss you out so much that you don't want to do sales anymore at times if you've worked in those types of environments and or the tactical managers, right? If it's all nuts and bolts all the time and always about your livelihood and your paycheck, then what, like, that's a behavior that you're training yourself to care about. And then all of a sudden 
you know, you have these other things that you've acquired and, and it's a process, right? There's many, many, many things. I'm not just saying that those two things are like what sends people in another direction, but all of these things are conducive to it. And I think that, you know, now more than ever, like workplaces have a responsibility to address this, which is another reason why Headspace has been able to really be so successful in this time, because people are recognizing that they have a responsibility to help support people with this because of the amount of time and the amount of things that we demand from people on a professional level. So that's my two cents. That's Richard, like a, so, a soapbox for me. Richard, Richard, I, I, you know, Richard knows my mom listens to all of these podcasts podcast episodes and she thinks Richard's like the best human on the planet I, I <laughs> I'm putting it at about 50 50 right now that Alex replaces you and my mom talks <laughs> to me and says hi sucks mom <laughs> that Alex that Alex woman she was phenomenal she's very well spoken about this stuff and she's and my mom's gonna say and you need to listen to her more Scott that's what yeah. I can hear right now she's right <laughs> she's totally right uh and yeah. I feel okay. I'm, I'm okay to give that to give that leverage to, to Alex. Uh, I do want to, I want to point out one thing because I'm just because I'm as being a part of Uncrushed is that these events that Alex is talking about, we're not, you know, yes, we do stuff with small companies, but we've done them at places like Salesforce and Citrix. They're internal events for those organizations. So again, I, this is not meant to be a plug about headspace in terms of, you know, what they can do or Uncrushed, but it's just an important topic right now. We just want to put that information out there. So I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable talking about it, um, you know, as, as something important. So, yeah. so Alex, because I know downtime is important for you. What is? What are your things aside from meditation? I think you, you mentioned yoga. What else do you do to help yourself relax? Because I know this is super important as part of this entire conversation. It's a really good question because my coping mechanism when things go crazy is to do more. And so it's really challenging for me to, to find different things. And, Amen. Whew, I hear that. Weird. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's really tough, especially when the juxtaposition is quite opposite from my partner right now. So it, it's, it's finding the balance, but honestly, there are things that I find. And when I say relaxing, I'm also talking about sometimes like in a meditative state where I'm just like calm and I'm going with the flow and we don't think about these things, but I'm really big on self-care. Like I'm totally about the bath. I take baths throughout the week for sure. Even, you know, I don't, I have to wait till I'm like beat up from a workout to do it. I make sure that I take that time for myself. Um, I really enjoy, I'm a cleaner. I like to clean things. There is something very purging about cleaning things, even when you really don't want to do it. Um, and so I, I really enjoy like a meditative state when I do that. Um, but also I love to listen to podcasts. My favorite murder is something hilarious that I'll put on. And my partner and I did a puzzle the other day. So that was really fun and relaxing for us. And, um, grilling out is relaxing and downtime is, is just so important for both of us. So music, I write, I sing. Um, and so I am definitely probably the happiest when I'm doing that. Like nothing can stop me after I just kind of wrote something saying it out loud and it sounded really good. I don't do it enough, but, um, so yeah, I do a lot of things. I also have a dog. It's been a massive change in my mental health for the last two years. Um, and she almost died when we first got her. It was terrible. That's another story for another time, but she's alive and she's beautiful and perfect and a year and a half years old. Um, and so uh, she keeps me sane. We go on walks all the time. So that's a lot of my downtime away from technology for sure off the grid. We got to wrap up. 
here, Alex. What can we do to, to help and, and support you? Is there any questions that you have for us? So uh, what you all can do to help and support me, I'm really trying to grow my network right now, specifically um, with LinkedIn and Instagram. And so wanting to keep in touch there. And I am also um, really open to partnering with the right people and the right topics to continue to surface these, these type of discussions when it comes to sales or mental health or things that I'm just really passionate about. So that would be something that I would want your help with. Oh, happy, happy. I can't help you with Instagram, but I can certainly, and so can Richard, we can certainly help you with growth on, on LinkedIn and strategies. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that sounds great. And I also need to get a website up, so could use some help there. Richard, that's your department. With that, that's just that part where we ask listeners to contact Alex on LinkedIn and say you'll help her out, right? Yes. He's going to get 25,000 pitches now to, for websites. Yeah, but, the, yeah, but you get there, so. it's like, it, it's right. Like, that's, that's not a bad problem. So, um, but Alex, thank you so much for making time with us. Always good to see you. I get to talk to Alex about every other week, if not weekly, uh, just yeah. from our uncrushed stuff. But uh, really appreciate you coming on board and talking about headspace and and just even your own management perspectives on things it's been it's been a really fun conversation thanks likewise uh really really thank you so much for everything you guys are doing and see you next time cool thanks, Alex. Bye. bye